having me on your show. Uh, no problem. And uh, my name's William Dayton Albert. I, uh, I'm incarcerated in the Republic of Panama prison system. I'm an American. I'm 42 years old. I was a professional killer. Mystery. I'm inside for five homicides. Um, I'm serving a 46-year sentence. I'm 12 years into that sentence. I'm in a third-world prison here in Panama, in the Republic of Panama. I'm in the worst section of the worst prison, the most dangerous, most violent section, most dangerous and violent prison in all Central America. Um, I run the church as the pastor of the church here in this prison, in the prison. Uh, I've said already, but I've been incarcerated for 12 years. I've seen all kind of lived in every single different level of security during those 12 years. I've been from minimum to maximum security. I'm in a maximum security prison now in the Republic of Panama. Uh, when I was free, I, I was put in prison. I was 30 years old. I'm 42 years old now. Um, I'm, I grew up in the mountains of western North Carolina. Uh, it's a really long and storied story how I got to the terrible state of affairs where I am now today. Um, and I'm just really excited to be here on this True Crime Podcast with Bruce. Uh, yeah, I just actually finished your book the other day. Um, yeah, it's crazy, like, just all the stories you're telling about being in Panama and stuff, like in the prison with, uh, <clears throat> I, I laughed at the, uh, the, uh, crap, the one guard that where you took his gun and hit it. Yeah, it's a crazy place. I mean, it's a different, this is a different, um, it's a wholly different system. I mean, it's not, the prison system in the Republic of Panama isn't anything like what you think of a prison system in the United States. This is the way I, I compare it like this. It's like a, it's like a concentration camp, but without a death camp. I mean, it's not a death camp. I say, you know, it's not like a place where they execute people or whatever, or put people, to kill people, but it's just like a, a, a um, like a warehouse for human flesh. You go to prison in Panama, they just stick your ass into a, into, you know, like, okay, for instance, here's, here's a, for instance, I'm in a prison that has 5,000 men. That's absolutely unheard of in the United States. There are some prisons that have 5,000 men. They're pretty, like a thousand, a thousand man prison is a huge prison, you know. What's so, the, uh, there's 5,000 prisoners in, and and this prison. And this prison is partly complex. It has 15,000, excuse me, not like 13,000, 13,000 prisoners. And and there's probably beds for about six thousand. Okay, that's I mean, what I was the ask. overcrowding is incredible. So yeah, that's, that's a, a way way. Situation. And then the, the, the really the way that for the guard system works is the prison, prisoners themselves are in control of the prison completely on the inside. The only thing you can't do is leave. Meaning that if you cross the line, they'll shoot the cops on the outside. Will shoot you. And they have armed police all the way around you. There, they got M16s and. And all kind of stuff, you know, and the guard towers and stuff on the outside of the perimeter, but on the inside of most prisons, not the one that I'm in, I'm in a very difficult prison, but on the inside of most prisons in Panama, the guards are unarmed and the prisoners are armed. The prisoners have firearms. The prisoners have bought firearms from the police to maintain the drug trade, which goes on inside, which is the main source of revenue for prisoners on the inside. In a Panamanian prison, nobody gives you clothes. Nobody gives you food. And there is food. The state actually provides food, but it's not edible. I mean, it's just it's really like, it's like, a, like a cup of white rice and a hot dog. That's a, that's a meal. And so, I mean, you can't live on it. And nobody tries either. And um, the, the the state doesn't give you clothing, doesn't give you toothpaste, doesn't give you toilet paper. You have to buy all that shit. So having to buy all that stuff generates a need for money. And... Um, any prison anywhere you go in front on money. Just, I mean, that's how it is. But here, even more so. So it creates a, situ a situation where corruption is king. And, and, you know, you're being guarded by men make $600 a month. So you can imagine that, uh, the, and, you know, and a cell phone stuff for $3,000. A cell phone you buy for $1,000 on the street, sells for $3,000 on the inside. So you can imagine the, the temptation to, to bring in drugs, guns, food, whatever it is, you know. Yeah, I've, uh, <clears throat> while well, I do paranormal investigation and stuff, I've actually uh, been to, uh, I've been to like a couple like jails, and then I went to a prison here in West Virginia where we're from uh, three times, and yeah, they were kind of mentioned up there. They were, <clears throat> it's been closed since like 95, the one, but it had been open for probably about 150 years. I'm trying to think. 
how many was supposed to have been housed there, but they ended up having like over 2,000 men. Like it was overcrowded. They said it was like three person a sale, and it was just yeah. massive. And he said, kind of like we used, like the one guard that uh, done the tours was like at one point, basically all the inmates inside were showing the new guards like where to go, like what key, what to win. And it was, I was like, that's just hard to believe. But I was like, it does happen though, which is there like a lot of turnover, like it is in the United States with the, uh, guards and stuff because i know here like well yeah the, the thing about it is like to be a prison guard here you gotta go to school for six months and that's it you go to school for six months and that makes you a prison guard and then, and then but you've signed on when you go when you what happens is you have to sign on to be a prison guard here and they they give the sign for like two years it's like a hitch in the it's like a hitch in the army in the states mm-hmm. these guys are tied down in, and like the majority of them figure out in that two years that this is not for me and so at least half of them stop being prison guards and you have this huge turnover of new people all the time and the new ones are really the pain in the ass you know because they've been through the system and they come out thinking that everything's by the book and then and it's like god you have to be careful with the new ones that they don't rat on you or stuff because they don't know how it is yet like for instance we get new cops here i had one the other day a new cop and he was a terrible pain in the ass and i'm like trying to like like you just said trying to explain to them this is how it works you know and like and he's a kid, he's, and he's a kid, he's a lieutenant, and he's a kid right out of OCS, you know, right out of officer, officer training school. Mm-hmm. So he comes in thinking that everything's by the book, and it's like, man, I like the old guys. When they send us the old guys to take care of us, those are the best ones who've been through the system 30 years. They, know they, ain't, they don't give a shit about anything, they just want to, they want to, they want to catch their paycheck and go home. You know what I mean? And so if everything runs smooth, they're not giving anybody a hard time. And the, and the new kids are like, you know, watching everything that you do, trying to see whether, you know, and it's, 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 it's kind of, this is a really, even though it's a fairly violent place, it's, it's a very laid-back situation. Once you understand how it works, and that's really hard to do as an American. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've seen a lot of Americans have a really hard time. I had a hard time, a really hard time, uh, for about three years getting it all figured out. But but it's so different, the, the life here is so different than anything that you think of as a prison. This is more like, like Survivor or something, you know, like a fun TV Everybody's just trying to figure out how to get to the next to the next day alive, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, but but there is a certain ebb and flow of things. Like right now, I'm, I, I won't lie. I mean, I, I had had like three years that were really hard. Two and a half years were really hard. I made a mistake in two thousand in two thousand nineteen and did an interview with the Daily Mirror and 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 in England. And that interview was supposed to be about the state of affairs in Panama and prison politics with respect to poor prisoners and, you know, economically challenged prisoners. And what they actually did was, he was a rock star in prison and gets laid and eats lots of food. And, oh, shit. And anyway, so they, it came out in, in Panama as well, which I would have never thought in a million years that that would have happened. And it did, and the, and the Panamanian government gave me what is called a Panamanian death sentence. Now, it's not something that actually exists. It's just like a slang term for being sent to punishment. When they give you a Panamanian death sentence, they send you to Sector C. That's where I am. In Sector C, there's 160, I think 158, something like that. It was here. And this is a place where they don't give you food, they don't give you medical attention, and they don't give you not allowed access to anything or anyone. And if it wasn't for the corruption, you couldn't live. Um, it's not, it wouldn't be possible to live if it wasn't for the corruption. The corruption allows us to get to buy your own food. If, I mean, and, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no phones here. You have to figure that shit out for yourself as well. So it's a really difficult situation. Um, the, the Panamanian government, when you make a mistake, and this is not like when you kill somebody in the street or something. I mean, there's like guys that walk around and kill 40, 50, 60 people in, you know, walking around in minimum security prison here. So when you make a mistake and piss off the government, when the government sees you as a political threat for some reason, they can give you a Panamanian death sentence and send you to Sector C. We're, we're all here. The oldest one here is not me. I'm the second oldest one. There's a guy here that's, that's a friend of mine. Actually, I, knew him for, I knew him years ago, um, originally when I was in another prison, and he's been here for five and a half years. But after him, I'm the oldest. I've been here for two years and seven months. And this place works like this. They put you in here. And then you have to figure out how to get out. There's no way to get out. I mean, literally, there's no no way to get out of here. Back in the general population, you have to figure it out. And what I mean by that is you have to pull the strings on the outside or or, 
me so far. But the Panamanian government puts pressure on you in three ways. One, they, they put you in here and they're like, you're with other armed prisoners who are hungry and angry and unhappy, you know, and they're firearms and you're so sure to easy to die. It's, not, it's a very easy way, place to get killed. Now, another way they do it is they put so much mental and mental pressure on you living here is so difficult that like three or four people commit suicide every year. And if you think about that for a minute, there's 150 men here, roughly, and four people are committing suicide. That's like a three, two and a half, three percent suicide rate. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That'd be like 25 people or 30 people out of every thousand committing suicide. That's even in any prison situation, that's pretty, that's insanely high. Um, and then also another way they, do, they get rid of you is if you get sick and die. Like I had a, a neighbor, it was a really sad thing. He was from the Bahamas, I think, actually. And he got lung cancer and they refused him treatment until he died. And then that was that. I had a kidney stone. I don't know if you know anything about that. I did not. But I had a kidney stone in June of last year. Oh, my God. It, it took seven days. I wallowed in my own sweat on the floor, screaming, asking God to kill me without even an aspirin, and finally passed this little bitty thing. This thing passes, and I was like, oh my God, that is what caused all this pain? And it was like, it was like nothing ever happened, you know? But, but that's just to show the, show the, um, the lack of medical care here. It doesn't exist. I mean, not only doesn't it get it, it actively denied. So I find myself in this terrible predicament um, of trying to figure out how the hell to get myself back to the general population. So uh, being the person that I am, I set up a church inside here. Um, the pain and stress of all this place actually made me look for God because there wasn't anything else and there wasn't any other way for me to, to gain solace. And so then, then after I did that, I actually set up a church in here to help the guys, and, and we do that. And then, and then I got elected by them to represent the 158, I think it was 158, I saw the roll today. 158 of us here to the government. So I'm their representative and also the one who mediates the clean gang. I stay really busy, actually. And then I also have a job. I'm actually one of the only three people here that have an actual physical job. And I only got it like two months ago. So, so covered this fellow here. Um, of being the one that like, that like takes care of everyone. One that distributes the food and some people. So, so I'm, I'm thinking a little bit better than they have been for, for the last couple of years. But is this, is this is a situation that thing like that we were talking about like the not they're not giving you anything how much like if you pay for it how much is like the average cost compared to what it is on the outside world like with toothpaste is it like you know you buy it for like a couple dollars is it like way more expensive or like what you have to do is you have to that's another thing that's the thing that makes it so difficult there's no px there's no store so what you have to do is you have to find somebody outside that's willing to go to the store buy your shit and bring it to you in hell this is a real problem. This is the problem that I have. It's not that I don't have any money, and I'm, I don't have a lot, but I have enough to get by. I, it, it's finding that person who won't just rob your damn money and not bring you shit, because that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So, like, here's, here's the, 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 let's say I, I get a food delivery and also, like, toothpaste and toilet paper and stuff like that. Once a month, you're 
bring it in once a month, and that's it. And so you have to bring all of your food in one time a month. And I mean, like, you live on cornflakes, and like, and like I have a lot of, I have like powders, so, uh, mashed potatoes, shit that you can reconstitute with hot water. Which I, that, that also is another interesting thing. You have to figure out how to make hot water, which, which, which I have that straight out. But, but anyway, so I'm in the state, my money's in the state. So I have to send my, I have to get somebody in my family to go to the bank, get my money, get a little bit, like four, five hundred dollars out, and they send it to West Communion. But this person on the outside, that person goes to West Communion, picks up the money, goes to the store, buys the shit, comes here, stands in line for like all day. And I mean, I mean all day, I mean all day, from four o'clock in the morning until like six o'clock in the evening, drops off the food, and then goes home. So you got to pay that person. Everybody that sent you your money, everybody that sent you anything, you have to pay. So sounds like it um how how long did you live in uh north carolina like the, is that the only state you lived in when you were here no i lived oh, I, I grew up in north carolina i mean i, I think it's probably the only place i've ever actually lived for a long period of time in or north carolina south carolina and i was in kentucky for a little while i was in some other states I mean, like, I, I've been all over the place for, like, you know, a month here, a month there, so on and so forth. Um, but I, I grew up in, in my, my original life in the States was based in North Carolina. <laughs> and then after there, uh, after glossing over a lot of things, but after becoming a criminal, I actually had, I became a fugitive and, and went to Costa Rica. I attended Costa Rica on vacation. And I liked it. And so I went to the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica, which is all, like, like the Jamaican culture, it's Afro-Caribbean, it's all, like the Jamaican type culture. And so it's all, you know, it's all black people from what they're like, they speak English, or a form of it anyway. And, um, and I liked it there, and I stayed there for two years, and then I ended up, and I was working in Panama, um, I was actually piloting a boat that, that dealt with human traffic, and it wasn't slavery, it was people who were like, smuggled, like coyote, it was more like, that's a better word, more, more truthful as well. People smuggling Asian people into the United States through 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 the Panama Canal because they come through the Panama Canal, come up the side, and then then we drop them off in Jamaica, and then the Jamaicans I don't know what they're doing there on. They they move them on to I guess Miami or somewhere, or maybe Texas. I don't know. I don't know where. But anyway, and so that's why that's how I got really involved in organized crime. From there, um, you know, I think I think like this is one of the things I'd like to say. And I, and I thought, I prayed before I did this interview. I'd really like to start changing the way I do the interview to tell the truth. I'd, I'd like people to understand that it's not just one day you wake up, you know what, I'm going to be a killer. I'm going to kill people for money. I'm going to be a professional killer. And it doesn't work that way. It's one pass after another pass after another after another step after another step down into hell. And, and from there, we would have really got to be careful. I mean, I, I remember being a kid, and, and like I don't know why, but so when I was a little kid, I always thought that the bad guys were the cool ones, you know, on the movies and stuff. And, and I think that we really got to be careful with our kids and, with, and, and even ourselves. Like, what are we putting into our minds? And, and, and I, put, I just put constant terrible, horrible things into my mind. And then, and then, like, you begin to start acting out on that, those things. And, like, I mean, I really wanted to be a criminal. I, I wanted to be in the mafia. I wanted to be a hitman. I wanted to do the things I wanted to do and ended up actually doing I concentrated on them so much that I ended up actually doing them. So, so and then, and then I'll tell you the life of that, that lifestyle is pretty crazy. And, and there were really high moments in it. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. If you're in a, in a, you're in a five star hotel room with three hookers and a mountain of fucking cocaine, it's really difficult to say that that's a bad 
It's interesting that you said, you know, about getting caught. Uh, one of our, <clears throat> excuse me, the, our other interview that we've done with uh, a guy I've talked to, well, we've talked to for roughly over a year, like we had asked him about like advice that he would give people that's, you know, because he was 18 years old when he killed his victim. And he was, that's what he uh -huh. said. He's like, you get caught. Like, you know, no matter if you think you're not going to get caught, you're going to get caught at some point. And that's interesting you say you said that as well. Yeah. 
played kind of a character. I played, I mean, I was myself. I was Wild Bill. But I played this character. I was like, the, the world's only, the world's only being super villain. And it was a lot of fun. It was very serious. We, we had fun with it, kind of dark humor. And then I have a group called Friends of Brother Bill, and that's on Facebook. And if your listeners want to come and join us, we'd appreciate that. Friends of Brother Bill. And so you can contact me directly there anytime you'd like to. And there's, there's like 500 people in that group, and we have fun. And a lot of women follow me, and, and I, I really like women, and they really like me. So, so that's one thing. Um, but with the book, Long Live the King Wild Bill, that's a pretty interesting book you read it. And it's it's very different. I don't think there's anything like it anywhere. Um, it's a memoir of my, myself, like it was my flight to justice, and then, and then my arrest and torture in Nicaragua. And, and extradition back to Panama, my first, my adventures in the Panamanian justice system, and my first year in third world prison in Panama, and all the things that happened to me. And, I mean, it's a situation that's so different than anything that would ever have happened to anybody in the States or, you know, England or Australia in the Western first world. So, you got to go check it out if you have a chance. You can pick it up on Amazon. And if you, if you want to contact me directly, you can come and find me on Friends of Brother Bill. Friends of Brother Bill is on the Facebook group. Just go and correspond to my Brother Bill. Or like that. So. Yeah, that's one thing. <clears throat> like I said, the book was really interesting. Like I said, I, I don't get to read as much at home like I used to. You know, having three kids, you know, ranging from 11, 8 to 3. So I mostly read at work on my lunch break. So... <laughs> Like I, I'm reading a Bigfoot book now, actually, after I finished yours. But uh, like I said, just like you were saying, just a lot of the stuff in it, I found really interesting. Like I said, with the women and all that, you don't hear that in prison very often and stuff, especially. No, around- I, mean, really, I, I like I tell a story. I'll tell a story from the book. about I said, one of the craziest things that ever happened to me in prison. There were, uh, I had to go just make a declaration. My declaration is like when the word in English, um, like give a statement. I had to give a statement in a case on the other end of the country. It was 500 kilometers away. And that's like in, in Panama because the roads are shitty. That's an eight-hour drive or, or longer. And so there was this team of policemen that were going to take me, but the guy that was running the show was a friend of mine. I've known him. I've known him for about four or five months inside prison. And so he was like, I'm going to take you. Don't worry about it. And I was like, cool. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking like, I don't know. I don't know what might happen, but this is a guy that brings in a lot of our contraband and stuff. So I was like really relaxed about the trip. So we go, and there's like three or four uniformed cops with me in the van. And it was like a police little minibus, you know, like a little van thing. It has seating for like maybe 12 or 13 people, and there was four of us. So one of us, the driver, and like maybe, I don't know if it was three or four cops. So we're going, we're going and we cross over the, the actual Panama Canal on the Bridge of America. It's like one of the most famous bridges in Central America. And the guy says to me, the, 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 the I think he was a captain. No, he's a major. And the major comes over to me and says, hey, like, we're going to Cherokee for a couple of days. We want to pick up a couple of girls on the way. I mean, you ain't going to rat us out, are you? And I'm like, fancy. What the hell do you want? You know, whatever you want. It's cool. So they stop by this little park. It's like the park of, I think I remember the name of it. It's like the park of China or something. China had donated. The, the government of China had donated money to build a little park there. And they stopped by. They didn't even stop. They stopped by, rolled open the door, slid open the door, and these two little hookers jumped in the, jumped in the, Jumped on, or the little girls. I didn't know at the time that they were hookers, but they, they were, and they jumped on. So they shut the door. They were going down the road, and, and the girls were looking at me. Now, I, I want you to understand something. In order to read this book and understand the book, you have to understand that in Panama, I'm more famous in the Republic of Panama, a country of four million people. I am more famous than like Ted Bundy is in the state, a lot more. Uh, I'm dating a girl right now, and on her cell phone, she has my photograph on her cell phone. Everywhere on like the lock screen of her phone, everywhere she goes, people are like, Why you got Wild Bill on your phone? You know, and so, El Salvaje Bill is what they call me here, the, the Savage Bill. So, why you got Wild Bill on your phone? And she's like, Oh, that's my boyfriend. And everybody's like, Really? Wow, holy shit, you know. And so, so anyway, so these, these girls, I mean, I was like in the news every day, you know, so they know who I am. And they're like, Wow. And so, I don't, I don't know what she's saying. I mean, I spoke Spanish, but I, I couldn't hear what she was saying. But she talks to one of the girls, talks to the major. The major says, go, I feel. She wants to come and talk to him. I'm like, go, come and talk to me. And so I'm chained. I've got handcuffs on that are actually handcuffed to a belt. And, and there's a chain that runs down to my feet as well. I mean, I'm really chained up. But I'm in street clothes. That doesn't matter. So the girl comes.
was just kind of funny. She talked to me for a few minutes, and I, my Spanish wasn't perfect during that time. It's kind of broken, but so we had a good conversation, and she was, like, really convinced that I wasn't some kind of a monster or insane or something. So she gets up, and she goes back to the major, she's whispering in his ear, and he says, no, 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 no. But she, uh, she kind of, like, she's like a little, she's like a little kid. She, like, stomps her foot, you know, and he's, like, he kind of shrugs his shoulders, and he's like, fuck it. So he comes back, and he sits down beside me, and he says, hey, you want to fuck this girl? And I'm like, what? And he says, do you want to fuck the girl? I'm like, yeah. And he says, well, I can't let you out of the chain. How are we going to do it? And I'm like, well, give me one hand. Just give me one hand, and then and then I'll be able to like, pull my pants down and shit. So the guy takes one hand off my handcuffs and comes back. And, and so it's just like the most, it was not a very good sexual experience at all. It wasn't very fun at all. So the little, the little girl, she comes and takes her pain, and she pulls her panties down and she's jumps up on top of me, fucks the shit out of me, which was really difficult for me to come because there's like three cops watching and it was weird as hell. It wasn't a very good situation at all. And so, but anyway, so it, it, it finishes. And then, and she's so excited and she acts and she, she comes back with her cell phone and takes pictures of me and she's like, thank you so much. I'm like, oh, thank you very much too. So we're going on down the road a little ways and I'm like, I'm just like, I'm laughing. I'm like, holy shit. And so, so we're going down the road a little ways, going on down the road a little ways, like another hour and the other girl decides that she wants to do it too. Okay, they, they want to be, you know, the girls that got the fuck wild doing. So she comes and I'm like, well, let's go. And so she, she too. And, and then, and I'm like, and it was like, you would think, you would think that the cops would kind of look the other way or I, I don't know. Or, you know what I mean? Like, fuck. I mean, like, I was like, uh, I was like, I'm being in a porno. Like, they're all like watching. And that was like the hardest thing for me. Like a whole bunch of horny dudes watching me get laid. And, um, it was very uncomfortable. I didn't like it at all. And, but anyway, so this is Panama. I mean, this is my experience in Panamanian prison. All of the girls and all the officers of all of the prisons, including this one that I've ever worked in, wanted to fuck me. Or not, not, I can't say all of them, but like maybe half of them. Um, and so, so I mean, I say, so it's really, I mean, like in the situation I'm in right now, I don't have access to get to the office. You know, I, but like for nine years, I stayed fairly, fairly well, you know, lubricated, let's say that. And, um, and it was a really interesting experience for me as well because I wasn't really a ladies' man when I was growing up at all. I was kind of afraid of girls and stuff. I mean, like, I liked women, but I mean, I was kind of nervous around girls and stuff. And, and I got married really young and so I didn't really have a whole bunch of different girlfriends and didn't really get that whole experience. And so I didn't get to do that until, until I was older. I mean, I obviously, when, when I was in the, you know, three in Panama, you know, I'm making money and at least money. I, I had lots of girls. The girls were always there for that. And so, so that was, that began the, 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 the ladies man thing. And, and then, but that was like kind of all for money, you know? And then now that I'm famous in Panama, it was like out of this world. And so I, I did it for a while. I did it for a while. I did it for about six years. I, I went through, I did a lot of, had a lot of girls, you know, I had like on the weekend, I'd have girls come visit me, three or four girls come visit me, and we'd slip in, I'd give a guard like 50 bucks, and we'd go into the conjure room and have like a crazy-ass thing. And not, I mean, they're not hookers, I mean, I've never, i never in my life, in my whole life, have I never, I've had a lot of sexual, I have had sex with a lot of prostitutes, but I have never paid money for sex, and that's a really cool thing. I'm proud of myself for that. I mean, simply because, like, I lived in, when I lived in Costa Rica, I had a house on the beach, and I had like eight or 10, 10 or maybe eight or 10 girls that would come and go that were prostitutes, but they would come and they need somewhere to crash, you know? But like all these naked chicks all around all the time or like half naked chicks that were like really physically attractive. I mean, like higher end, not like frequent person that walk the street, but I mean like escort girls. And so like that's how it got started. That's how it got started with, with like, like crazy women. And, uh, and I just love crazy women and, and they love me. And I'm, I'm trying to, I was married. I was married. I got married in, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place with this story. I'm telling you, but, but I got married in, uh, in 2018, yeah, 2018, and then got divorced, uh, recently, uh, earlier this year. And so that was really difficult for me, if you want the truth, because it was a divorce I didn't want at the time. I'm glad I had it now. I'm glad I had it now, but I was really depressed about that. I got, I, when I got sent here, I got that, into the sector C, the worst place, I, it cut off all my power. And, and, and really, I mean, I, I had like 
you know, anything I wanted to get done, I could do anything from inside prison. I could do anything. I mean, like outside of the street, there's nothing I couldn't do. I mean, you know, there's nobody I could put my hands on on the outside if I wanted to before I was. And all that got cut off. And so, you know, like when you get a chick that likes powerful bad guys, and then you go from being a powerful bad guy to being very impotent, then a lot of your attractiveness goes with that as well. So that's pretty much what happened in my marriage. And um, and it made me think a lot about my life and stuff and what I'm doing. What, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing with my life? I've been like, shit, what am I doing? So, so really, I spend almost all of my time. And, and if all of you need guys come to visit me on Facebook, you'll see. I, I counsel a lot. A lot of people, I'm, 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 I don't work. I don't charge money either. I don't, that's another thing. I'm not trying to make money off my, off my interactions with people at all. Um, but I spend a lot of time counseling people. Maybe I counsel maybe 30 people a day. Maybe that's, maybe that's at least 20 people a day. That's, that's about the majority of what I do. And so, so that's one thing that I have going for me. Um, another thing is that I run a church, and I really, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior in a moment of absolute despair, in a moment that I wanted to die, and I really wanted to die, asking, asking God to die. And I, I, I just, man, I, I'm just all about Jesus. And I know that I don't live the best. I'm not the best example of a Christian. I'm aware of that. And I'm trying really hard. But I'll tell you that I'm so different than I was three or four years ago. Um, really, I'm different as a man. I, I spend all my day, every day of my life, I've been in service to my fellow man. And the only way that I've been able to make that change was through the love that I've found through Jesus. There's um well they always say now what is like the new the new fifth well the new forties fifty now because there is there are a lot of people I know that's like in their fifties and yeah they could pass being in their thirties I used to well, I used to work at there was a guy that uh, he was he's probably in his sixties now he's probably or he might have been I know he's at least late mid fifties late late fifties but 
he that dude was like all he was was muscle and he was like i'm not in the best shape as i used to be which he probably wasn't but he was probably in better shape than a bunch of 20 year olds like when he took his shirt off and stuff and was changing like I said, he was just muscle. And they, like, I remember one of the charts that said he was overweight, but he only weighed like 170 pounds. But he wasn't very, like, he wasn't a big guy. He was like five foot six, maybe, but he was just muscle. Uh-huh. I was like, as long as you take care yeah. of yourself, you can, you know, do good. Like, so there's, I got a, a great aunt that's 80, 82, 83 years old. She lives in Florida and she walks like, uh-huh. I think she said like two, three, four miles a day, like every morning. She could pass 20, 25 years younger than what she is. Like you did not, you would not think she's in her 80s. So, yeah, so if you get out, what do you see yourself doing when you do get out? There's several things I want to do. I mean, like the lifestyle that I want to live. I don't know, man. I mean, I really want to have a family. And that sounds strange for a guy like me. I mean, I've done all the crazy shit, you know. I screwed all the girls. Of, you know, I, I did all the, I mean, like, did a lot of crazy stuff. And so, like, United States. 
States for going almost 20 years. And man, the shit that's going on in the States is just insane to me. I'm like, uh, what I feel is complete. And this is bad. I'm in prison. I'm like a killer in prison and I'm going to talk about morality. But like the moral decay of what I see happening in the States is so frightening and so insane to me. It like makes me not want to go back there at all because really Latin America is a lot more conservative than 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 it is, and that's normal to me. Mm-hmm. Than it is like in the states now with all like I don't I don't even know I don't even know where to begin criticizing or you know or even I think in order to go home like what I would call home I'd need a time machine. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's. I found that interesting because, like you said, you're you're famous there, but like where you said you're like Ted Bundy of Panama, like it's weird. Well, it's not really. It's interesting. I wouldn't say weird, but like you said, like a lot of people, it seems like because here, you know, with serial killers and stuff, Ted Bundy, Gacy, Dahmer, uh, Ed Kemper, like you got all of the tr- true crime shows, and like people like they're really interested in it. And I know like with Richard Ramirez and like with Ted Bundy, a lot of people, you know, a lot of women were like really attractive to him, And they were like, I don't know. Is I guess you could see it was more like the, which with them, you couldn't really, you know, touch them or nothing. Like you said, once you go in the United States prison, because a lot of times if you don't have people, like if your family or friends abandon you, when you go to prison here, you have nobody unless, you know, people write exactly. you or something. And, because there's a lot of there's a there's a guy actually right uh, he said he don't get a lot of mail and he's been in prison for like 30 years and he's like you know people just kind of forget you when you go and you know, like I said, unless you have an outlet to get out there nobody knows, remembers you unless your case like i said was really big but what do you think like people that find the fascination with you know all of that because i know some articles consider you a serial killer but you you consider yourself what, just the ex-professional killer? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, it scares me when people call me a serial killer. I think of like a serial killer. Like I, I'll be honest with you, uh, one year ago, I started doing what I'm doing right now a year ago, in April, uh, the year last year, um, like promoting myself. I had never done it before in the United States. And I didn't know anything about serial killers. I mean, I knew how, I knew who Ted Bundy was vaguely, I didn't know anything about the true crime community at all. And then, so I started studying it because I thought, well, that's where I'll start. I'll start there, you know, in the true crime community, trying to promote myself. And uh, I became, and, and like, and then people would call me a serial killer. And that's like scary to me because I think of a serial killer as like some sick book that hurts people because he wants to, because he likes it or something. And that's just not at all what I'm about. And it never was. Um, I mean, it's like, I can't say that I'm better than those guys. In a lot of ways, I'm worse because they did it because of some sort of sick compulsion. I don't have an excuse like that. I did it because I was greedy. And so, so in a lot of ways, it's, you know, like I don't, I'm not trying to make myself out to be better than anybody else. It's not true. Um, but, but I think that it's frightening to me when they call me a serial because I don't want to be associated with people like that. You know, I don't want my name or myself, my persona to be associated with people like that. And then the true crime community is a really strange place, I'll be honest with you. Um, and I don't want to offend anyone. But I mean, for me, it's a really strange place because I started going into these true crime groups on Facebook. I'm like, hi, my name's Phil, and I'm in prison. And I kill a bunch of people. This is what I did. And I mean, I like to talk about, I didn't like glorify what I did, but I mean, this is who I am. Anybody want to talk to me? So there's like only two reactions. One is, oh my God, I worship you. And then the second reaction is, you fucking monster. And it's like, there's no in between. Mm-hmm. That's the true crime community. Like, I had a lot of girls that are like, like I, I literally, like daily, I get women like today, happen today. It's like, there's like, you know, the kind of pictures in my, you know, I, I, I want to fuck you. And you're like, well, yeah, that's everybody does. So I mean, and that sounds like really, like, oh, I'm the shit. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm the shit. I'm just saying it's the truth. And, and and then and then the other side of that coin is that they hate you and there's no in between. So that's the true crime community. You get the ones that are like adore that adore you and ones that absolutely love you, love you. And then and the thing that I thought was the strangest thing was they people spend all day long online dissecting serial killers and then when you have the opportunity to speak to somebody that's in jail for murder, they they're like very rude. 
I thought that was strange. I mean, I don't mean rude like she's asking, asking questions. You know, like people ask questions that are tough, like how do you deal with, how do you live with yourself? Like, those, are, those are good questions. I don't, I don't have to, I mean, like people who are, you should kill yourself. You're terrible. We hate you. I mean, shit like that. I'm like, you spend all day long talking about serial killers and you have the opportunity to speak to somebody who's actually considered one by the government anyway. And, and that's how you react. I don't understand. I really just don't understand it. I, mean, I don't understand it at all. So, like, I think that my future, honestly, I mean, I'm in true crime right now, but I don't think my future is there. I think that um, where I want to go with things is more like along the line of personal motivation or I want to be a success story. I, I really do. I want to be the success story. I want to be okay. You know, I'm worse the first. I want to do that. I, have, I mean, I'm in a position where I'm not going to have to be in prison forever, and I want to do that. Also, when I get out of prison, I want to help some of these Panamanian kids get out of prison as well because the Panamanian prison system Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk. Yeah, I agree there. Like a lot of kids are just forgotten and they really need, you know, the guidance. Cause I remember in high school, that was one of the things that my psychology teacher says, like if your parents are like this way, most likely that's what you're going to be because you know, no difference. So I, I agree with that. Okay, that was our interview with uh, Wild Bill, um, which Olivia didn't talk too much in it, which she had to go take care of our youngest. She was, she's been uh, kind of sick. She's coming back over. But uh, I hope you all enjoyed the interview. He, I really do like the whole aspect of, uh, you know, the whole Panama prison. Like that's weird, you know, just the basic needs that they don't supply you, which a lot of prisons here, like they do, but you know, they don't. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't want to say that our prison system is coddled, but compared to other things, they really are. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. death rows getting TV CD players and these guys have to find somebody that won't rob them to. Yeah. You really have to trust get somebody. Basic, like, toilet paper, toothpaste, things to eat. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, which like I said, Bill's book is really good. I, I read it at work. Like I said, cause it's weird. Like I said, I read, you know, true crime books. And like, so I'm reading a Bigfoot book now. Like I mentioned when I was talking to him, like I read a bunch of various stuff. So I'm sure people probably like, let's see what he's reading today. But yeah, it's just crazy. You know, just all the stuff that happens. And I don't know. Bill just has that. He he reminds me of somebody around here. Like he's yeah. forty, but he sounds like one of the. Well, like I say, he's forty-two, but he sounds like one of those older, like older nice men. That was, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
You know, you know what I mean? Like he has that voice, which he like where he said, like he, uh, you know, helps in a church and stuff there and started that. Like he, he has that voice for it. I guess what I'm saying. Cause he has a preacher's voice. Yeah. Like it's almost, I a think that's what I'm going like, with. It's almost a little bit like triggering. Cause like I've just had negative experiences. So like, I don't know. I don't enjoy stuff like that. Like very preachery. And to me, that's in a negative way to some people it could be comforting. Oh, like, yeah. But to me, it's just like the ick. But he, he, you could tell, you know, just from, because like he said, a lot of people in the true crime community, they're like, oh, I love you. Like we were talking about, you know, with like a lot of serial killers here, like, oh, I love you. Then, you know, you're a monster because we've had that happen before. You know, people will be like, oh, you know, I love what you do. You know, your true crime podcast. And there's people telling us to basically kill ourselves type thing well, in a people sense. People hate me because I got a big mouth and I'm honest regardless. I don't, I'm not going to sugarcoat and like change my opinion because people don't like it but like listening from our interviews from joseph and you see how bill is which him and joseph joseph's older than him actually so they're both you know yeah they're both in their 40s so you're looking at um two guys like i said neither one of them if you met them on the street say both of them are out you wouldn't probably you would never think oh no i might think about bill i might no (laughs) i might but it's just, you know, it's, which like what he said, he he done it more not for the pleasure, he done it for money, which. Well, like if you're involved in the cartel and you have a drug problem, then like, duh. Yeah, and you got, you got, you know, a lot of, which either way, like what he said, either way, it's not an excuse either way. No, it's not an excuse to do it, but uh, I don't know. I, I have opinions. I just don't want to talk about them, I guess. <laughs> but like i said i hope y'all enjoyed the interview um with him like i said if you want i think i just joined his group today but he is actually in our group as well and i think he follows the page so uh once this episode drops i can uh mention the group or maybe share but i think like what he said he had a podcast and i remember one of the interviews that he'd done he mentioned about it like uh, i think he, well, he basically called like the karens maybe reported it because I, before we go, like, I agree with what he said in that interview, though. Uh, it was a Spoiler They Die podcast. Um, you know, because that's what she was saying as well. The host on there was like, you know, prisoners need an outlet as well. And, you know, he's not doing nothing wrong. It's not like he's, you know, trying to, you know, convince people out in the world to kill people to the podcast, you know, like what he said, he was playing like just a character, you know, it was just all fun. And, you know, technology and the times are changing. Like you said, you know, they're getting a lot of them's getting TVs, tablets, like, you know, things moving up and, you know, if they could become, you know, get, get their name out there and success. Cause like I said, if the, like he said, he could be out of prison, you know, in roughly 15 years and, you know, he's trying to get out there and get something ready. Cause if you're basically, Say you've been locked up, nobody knows nothing about you, come out, it's going to be a hard adjustment. Like he said he's promoting himself, getting his name out there, and he's, you know, wanting to go somewhere, you know, away from everything, where he's not known. But yeah, in his book, he does mention he is really well known down there. I feel like that would make him want to stay, because he seems very much like he likes that well, he said the Caribbean to fish and stuff, which I'd be interesting. That would be fun to fish in those waters. Yeah. Which, like, I know he's in the prison, so I'm sure that it's probably, like, a rougher area, and it's probably, like, the downside of Panama. But, like, anything that I've seen of Panama, like, online or anything, uh, I know he says there's, in one of the podcasts I listened to, he described Panama, and that was his thing. Was, I just want to go sit in a hammock and eat exotic fruit. <laughs> like, you have your good Panama, but you also have your, like... Yeah. He said, like, it's worse than the ghetto, like, what people consider ghettos here. Like, it's worse than that. But then you got your beautiful bees. Like, it's basically got, like, everything You probably there. have, like, the wealthy side, that like, where the tourists go. Then you have, like, the regular people living area where it's probably not so great. Like, middle class. Like, how we have middle class and lower yeah. class and, like, poverty. <coughs> Excuse me? Like, it's probably just the same thing as that. Just, like, anywhere. But I would still, I would rather be there. Oh, yeah, and like with him, with him saying, you know, he, which we could go on and on about that, you know, how the United States is, and you know, that's what he's talking about. He's not been there in twenty years, so and the way everything's changed here, like, like you said, what what'd be the point of coming back? 
Like it would suck though to have. I don't think I would. It would suck though to have like the fame. Like if he went somewhere where he wasn't, nobody here knows him. Like who the fuck are you? <laughs> well, not not even that. Like just the time, but like being down there, like. Which only thing that would be like people would be following him, trying to like take pictures. I'd with travel. Him. I would travel. Like if that's allowed. I mean, I don't know Panama rules and things like that. Once you get out of prison, but I'm assuming. Like I don't know if you got probation or. Because a lot of countries don't have that. Just like with taxes, it's included in the price. America has taxes and probation and yeah. things like that. They may not have that. Yeah, so you just basically like Once gets you're out. out. You're out you're good. You don't have to check in your or limit of where you could go. You're just bye bye. Yeah, just leave. Get out of my hair. <laughs> Which I think, like I said, uh, talking to him and stuff. He, I think he could really do good in society. And you know, he like he said, he lived a crazy life, and you know, he's ready to settle down and move on with it, which I do like that he mentioned that. It's weird that he'd said a lot of things too, like that which you guys will hear the Joseph Part three interview that he you know, about the whole uh, thing about you'll get caught and all that, like Oh yeah, because he's not an idiot. Oh, yeah. He doesn't have some like like he said, he doesn't have an infatuation with killing. He just got caught up in some shit and he, ended up well, like he it. said he got he got sloppy. He started drinking uh, yeah. basically sleep and it bothered him doing it but i guess you could look at it in that sense nothing against him or nothing like i said he's, like he's intelligent he's yeah he, he, seems, he seems like you know a real nice guy i enjoyed talking to him but it's kind of like yeah he killed but it was you know like he said money you know and you know everybody's got a price of what they'll do for something i'm sure there's people in the cartel and hitmen that have done a lot worse oh yeah so, I mean, like... Because he was charged with five, if I remember correctly. I think that's what he said. I th- can't remember if he said... It like, not trying on. to downplay his stuff. I'm just saying, like, there's... Like, there's a lot that... Which, happen. I guess, why he would be considered a serial killer, like he said, by the government, would probably be the cool-off period, because I doubt he killed, you know, like a mass murder or anything. Or just when somebody said, hey, you need to take this person out, I'll pay you big money. <laughs> Because I remember in the one uh, interview as well with a spoiler, they die. He he had mentioned that about like two weeks that he would take to find out somebody's pattern, stuff like that. Which I really didn't say much on there, but uh, I kind of wonder if they ever paid him in like drugs. Like being in a cartel, be like, I'll give you like two pounds of coke if you go get that guy. Which, you know, later on, <laughs> which I'm, he might listen to this, but like. That's what I'm trying to do. What? That's why I'm trying to be nice. Oh, you're, I, I, yeah, there's been no issue. I don't want to be rude, but... No, it won't be rude. But like I said, if you guys want, we could possibly have him later on with some questions, do like a Q&A like we plan to do with Joseph and stuff. Yeah, I talked to him about that today, actually, for questions. Yeah, because I know uh, we got a few already to bring his way, and I think he'd be inter- interested in... But um, like I said, I hope you all enjoyed this. Um, and... We'll see you on the next one. And like I said, hopefully, you know, get this one shared out. And I will upload this on YouTube as well. Hopefully before you guys hear this or right around or a few days after like I did with Joseph's. But like I said, if you want to follow us on Facebook, Killers Crawlspace, the podcast is available on most platforms, if not all platforms. There might be some like little ones I don't know about because there's ones that come up all the time. If you look uh, up his name, you'll probably find anything he's associated to. Type in podcast. Well, yeah, with him, yeah. Like, if you Google his name and stuff, like I said, spoiler, they die. The uh, uh, crime piper, uh, I know her, she she done a blog interview with him, and he done one with Unforbidden Truth, which I haven't listened to that one yet, or I might have, I can't remember. I remember listening to another one that he done. But like I said, if you want to check us out, Killers Crossface, all across Instagram. Uh, I think TikTok might be under my name. Killers Crossface. Is it under Killers Crossface? You can type in Killers Crossface or Bruce the Master. Yeah, and it'll pop up. Like I said, you can join our group and everything. Like I said, we like you know people discussing, commenting, and stuff like that. Because that's the way we grow is interaction. So like I said, thank you all for tuning in. And we'll see you on the next one which we'll be talking to an actual, another Bill, just not, he's uh, not a killer. He just visits uh, people on death row and research and actually has watched people, you know, die with the lethal injection, stuff like that, which you are reading his book, aren't you? Yes.
Like he's got some interesting stories, so I can't wait to you all to listen to that one as well. Because I'm, I'm liking. I've noticed this year we focused on a lot of interviews, and I'm liking it. And I'm hoping we can continue roughly with that. So, like I said, thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one.